The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. A copy of God's Word and open this morning to John 13. John 13, I will read one verse this morning because we're taking a break from walking through a particular book of the Bible together. We're in a summer series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, it's rooted out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this morning we come to what is the first facet of the fruit of the Spirit, that being love. I want to remind you before we look at this this morning that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we cannot say the fruits of the Spirit because this is not plural. There are not multiple fruits that we get to sort of pick and choose uh, what we will be okay with or that we will produce. These are not things that we decide to walk into, but instead the the. Holy Spirit has led us to see that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It is singular. So when we come to each of these, it's almost like turning a diamond. And we will see various facets of that diamond um, as as we sort of rotate this and see the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first that we come to this morning is love. I would, I told you last week that we are rooted in Christ. We looked extensively at Galatians 5, 16 through 25, and, and we had to start there because we're, we're rooted in Christ. And if Christ is the root, I would submit to you this morning that, that love is maybe the stem of the fruit. It's maybe what connects the fruit to the root. Because all the other elements or facets of this fruit come out of, come from love. If there is not love, then the others sort of fall apart. I want to read for you this one verse in John chapter 13, and then we'll walk through what the Bible here says about love. Uh, John 13, look at verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So this verse is... Different than anything we usually do, I'll use this verse to sort of set the the place where we'll be, and then we'll look extensively throughout the Bible uh, as to what God has to say on this topic of love. As I was preparing for this uh, earlier in the week, uh, I just went and I looked for, I searched for every use of the word love throughout the Bible. I started in the Old Testament. I got through about two or three books in the Old Testament, and I thought, holy cow. And, and that, they teach you that, that holy cow in, in uh, seminary. That's like a perfect. And went to the New Testament and thought, this is a little more manageable. And so I looked for every use of the word love throughout the New Testament. And in doing so, what I found was that there were, I found just me, just in a, in a quick survey there, at least 35 different applications of love. Now, this is not going to be a 35-point sermon. Aren't you glad? Right? It's okay to say amen to that. Right? Um, we're not going to deal with all of those. What we will do is, is we'll look at certain things the Bible does say, and we'll, we'll look at these by a- asking and answering, I think, four questions. The first question is, how has God loved us? The second question is, how then should we love? 
And the third question is, how do we get love wrong? And then the fourth question is, how can we get love right? And so that will be the the guiding of our sermon today. So first off, how has God loved us? You know, many of us grew up in church, and, and some might say, well, how do we know that God has loved us? Are you sure He has? Well, most of us, a lot of us, could point back to growing up in church as a child, and you sang this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, what? For the Bible tells me so. And so that's what I want to do. I want to show you just some simple ways that the Bible tells us that God has loved us. One is through creation. I mean, you look around, and and man, God has displayed His glory and His love almost everywhere we turn. Many of you this summer, you will take a vacation, and you you will head down to the coast, and you will sit on a beach, and perhaps if you're a morning person, you'll get up early one morning, and you'll see the sun rise over the Atlantic. And you'll see that sunrise over the horizon that seems to disappear into nothingness. And you'll say, man, God is good. Others of you will go to the mountains because you're not beach people. And you will go to the mountains this this summer. And uh, before the leaves turn and, and burst into colors, that in itself would be a display of God's love. But you will find yourself beside one of those mountain streams and you will stick your feet in that water or you will wet a line and try to catch some trout in that water and you will say, God is good. How he's loved us. You'll work outside this summer, and you'll get hot, and you'll sweat, and you'll become dehydrated, and you'll, you'll go, and you'll get a glass of cold water, and you'll press that to your lips, and you'll take that down, and you'll just, the, the taste of cold water, and you'll say, God is good. How he's loved us. You'll pick something up, and you'll, you'll squeeze your fingers together. Even this morning, you'll grasp a pen and you will intricately write notes and jot down references to Scripture passages and you will look at your hand and say, how does that do that? God is so good. Look at how He's loved us. You see, creation itself is a display of God's love. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but God Himself has has said that humanity, human beings, are the pinnacle of all of His creation. So no matter what stops you in your tracks, arrests you there, and causes you to say, God is so good, God looked at human beings and said, this is the pinnacle of all that I will make. Do you know that God made man, and everything else that he made, he spoke into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be birds of the air, and there were birds of the air. Let there be fish of the sea, and there were fish of the sea. And all of this he created from nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. But when it came to man, the Bible says there in Genesis 1 and 2 that God knelt in the dust, that he formed man from the dust of the earth, that he bent down and he breathed life into the man to become the very reflection of himself. That God made you and he made me to be the the part of creation that more than anything else should stop people in their tracks to say, God is so good. How he's loved us. Do you know that he's given us the, he gave Adam and Eve there in the garden, he gives it to us this right to rule and to reign over all of creation as his representatives. God is so good in creation. Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16, I praise you for I am Fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven 
in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when I, as yet there were none of them. Do you hear the language there that the psalmist uses? That in the creation, not just of humanity, but in, in the creation of every single human being inside the mother's womb, that they are being intricately woven at the desire and the, and, and the creation of God. That every single one of them, it's as if God is, is taking out his journal, taking out his book of history, and he writes out the story of you. And, for, and, and, and creates every single one of the days that you will live. Do you see that even in creation, whether it's on the grand scale or it's in the very small come home to you scale, that God loves you in creation. Secondly, God loves us by providing for us through providence. You know, the Bible says there in Matthew 5 when Jesus stood and he preached that sermon on the mount, he said that he causes the the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on, on both the evil and the good. That God is a provider for all. I couldn't help. I was singing that song a minute ago, and, and, uh, and there was a line in that, that song. And this is just how, how you know, distracted I get. But there's a line that said that you know, his mercy is more. I don't know if it's summertime or whatever, and I'm thinking about campfires around campgrounds or whatever. And, and for whatever reason, the S from is... And more ran together, and all I saw was s'more. <laughs> and there is a truth in this that God's grace is a s'more. Because every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? That no matter what it is, we enjoy that whether we are His in Christ or whether we are outside of Christ, that somehow He benevolently, benevolently cares for us. And gives us good things. But more than that, he also says, I am your father if you are in me. And Jesus there, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, toward the end of that, he talked about earthly fathers. And he said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, your child is not going to come to you and say, hey, dad, 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 I want some bread. None of you is going to say, here's a stone, son. No, no child is going to say, dad. I want a fish. And you hand him a snake. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father know how to give good things to his in Christ? When he provides for you as one of his children through Christ, he is saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Third, God loves us and he shows us this by revelation. That, he, that we're not left in the dark to simply figure things out, to wonder, what is God like and what does he expect of us? And has he done anything for us? But instead, the Bible tells us that God has revealed himself to us. He's done so in three different ways. One is creation. The book of Romans, chapter 1, says that everything that can be known is made clear to them, but they've rejected it. And it is to say that you look at creation and the, the, the automatic conclusion from looking at creation is, this didn't just happen. There's a God who made this. The second way that God has revealed himself to us, though, is not to say just that there is a God, but that he's written a book. And he gave us the Bible and he, he gave us scriptures to, to tell us exactly what he's like and what he expects and what he has done. 
That we don't have to wonder that he has written it down for us. That's why 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture is God-breathed for our good. And the third way that God has revealed himself to us, if, if that were not enough, through creation and then through his word, he has given us the word made flesh in Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.18 said that God, no one has seen God, but the Son has revealed him to us. God loves us through revelation. Bringing this probably to the most noticeable way that God has loved us is through atonement. That God has died for us. That his son loved us with a sacrificial, substitutionary, atoning death for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, verse 10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Meaning, we were the recipients of God's wrath because we had rebelled against him. We had everything coming to us and we deserved it. And God loved us enough to send his own son to take our place, to pay the price in order to remove the wrath from us. That the wrath was placed on him instead of us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps maybe the most familiar verse in dealing with God's love is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the way that you and I have everlasting life is because the son came and lived in our place and he died in our place. That The cross is not something that we, we reserve for Good Friday three days before we celebrate the resurrection. The cross makes all the difference because there we see a divine love that could not be scripted in any other way. That God himself has loved us by dying for us. Wrap your head around that. Also, God has loved us through relationship. Do you know what it is to have a relationship with God? I mean, some of you know someone famous and, and you name drop every now and then. Oh, yeah, I was talking with so-and-so the other day. What? You were talking with so-and-so? Imagine you and I get to drop the name of God and call him friend. That's what the Bible tells us in John 15, 13, when Jesus himself said, Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, now I call you friends. Do you realize that God invites us to walk with him and talk with him and to know him? He loves us through relationship. God loves us also through discipline. Now, this is not one that oftentimes we, we like to hear about. I, I never as a child liked discipline. But I look back now and think, you know, my parents, I, I realize my parents loved me when they disciplined me. And the Bible here says that God disciplines those whom he loves, Hebrews 12. That when, when God sees us going wayward and straying from him and going into things that we think will satisfy the, the desires and the needs of our heart and our mind and our soul, but they're not going to because they can't. When he sees us in that, then he looks at us as children and says, no, no, that's dangerous. No, no, that won't satisfy. 
You will not find joy in any, anyone else but me. And he disciplines us back to himself. It's love. My kids are pretty well grown up now. I graduated high school uh, with these graduates over here um, a week or so ago. Uh, Abby's going into her senior year. There's not a whole lot of discipline that I can really do a whole lot with them anymore. Thankfully, I don't have to do a whole lot. But, you know, when they were kids and I'd have to, I'd have to spank them, I never enjoyed that. I never got up in the morning and said, feels like a good day for a spanking, you know. <laughs> I mean, no parent does that, you know. Nobody wants to get to that point. But you know what? When you did it, you realized, I'm, i I, I got to love them this way. Because I cannot allow them to go full on where this thing is going to take them. I love them too much to let it happen. And God loves us when he disciplines us. God also loves us with a returning love. Another way to say that is heaven. That one day the Bible tells us that Jesus will return. John chapter 14 verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you realize what a gift it is of love that God says, I'm preparing a place and I'm bringing you all over. This is love. You know, I don't ever go, to my, go back home to my parents' house at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, even the summer or whatever, and feel like I'm unwanted. I don't walk in and my mom go, I wish I'd have known, you know. No, mom's been preparing. We go to Lana's parents, uh, Lana's mom, and, and, uh, and she's been to the grocery store, and, and I don't know if there's anything left in the grocery store in her town because all of it is in her pantry for her grandkids, right? And it's, I want to welcome them there. I want to love you here. And that's what Jesus says is, I'm preparing a place for you. I want you to be with me. See, the reality is that God has loved us with a perfect love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because we have nothing to fear when it comes to God because He's loved us perfectly. So how has God loved us? Too many ways to count. So the second question, how then should we love? Well, the Bible here, Jesus had this lawyer one day come to him and said, Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus replied with what has become the great commandment. We have the great commission and we have the great commandment. And Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these, these, his response gives us two tracks that we run on as to how we then should love based off of God's love for us. We run on these two tracks. One is loving God and the other is loving others. So how do we love God? Let me just give you three. I cannot exhaust this. Let me give you three. One is we love God with a responsive love. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. I watched your faces as I was walking through some of those ways that God has loved us. And that was the most smiles that I have seen in a long time. You know why? Because you were abiding in the love of God. And when you abide in the love of God, you can't help but to respond with love backwards. And we, we, we love God with this responsive love. Well, secondly, we love God with this preeminent or first love. 
He has to be first place in our lives. Jesus was describing to his disciples what this love for God must look like in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, when he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Some people read that and they say, This is awful. Jesus said, If you're going to follow him, you've got to hate your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids, you've got to hate your own life. And who wants to follow this Jesus? And Jesus is literally not saying that we must hate them. What he's saying is that when you compare your love for them to your love for me, it ought to look like hate compared to how much you love me. Ultimately, I will will love my wife and I will love my son and I will love my daughter with a fierce, robust love. But even as as strongly as I love them, compared to the way I love God, they ought to say, Dad, why do you hate us? This is what Jesus says here, is that he must be first, preeminent in all things. The third way that we love God is we love him by obeying. Through obedience, John 14, verses 15, Jesus himself said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John, later on, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, by the way, if you want to read about love, and what love looks like, 1 John is the place to start. John, later on there in, in 1 John 5, 3, says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So what John learned was, look, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey me. This is not an angry father who who is insecure in himself and gets his identity through the obedience of compliant children. Instead, John said, look, these, these commands of his are not burdensome. He's not just running me through the motions here. These things, these commands of God actually become freedom for me. As I walk in the things that God has for me, I realize that he loves me all the more. You know, the person who says, you know, I can live my life however I want to because, you know what, grace. And I can just do whatever I want. I mean, Paul said, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? May it never be. See, the reality is, if you love someone, you want to do what they want. You want to please them. And if this is preeminent love to to love God, then we must obey what he's called us to obey. Not out of a position of, got to do this. But instead, it's a, man, he's loved me. I just want, want to please him in all things. That's the love. That's how we love God. Responsively, preeminently, and obediently. And there are others. I haven't exhausted that. But those are just scratching the surface. How do we love others? Well, we love others a lot like the way he loved us. And let me give you some here. There are more here than I gave you for how you love God. One is sacrificially. That if Jesus loved us sacrificially, then we ought to love one another sacrificially. The Bible here in 1 John 3:16, by this we know, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This means that in the context of this faith family, this church together, that we will at times love one another by laying down our preferences. I wouldn't do it that way, but you know what? 
If it means others will hear the grace and the mercy and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm okay. It means that we will sometimes lay our comforts down. And we will say, you know, I'm, I'm at this place in my life where it's really starting to feel good now. Lord, I don't know that I really want to reach out and get uncomfortable and go and take the gospel there. But it will mean that we will. That we'll look at people maybe halfway around the world and we'll say, unless someone goes, they will not hear the gospel. And they will have no way to hear of him and call on him as Savior and Lord. And God will miss out on glory from those people if I don't go. So, Lord, let me lay down my comfort. Let me lay down my life. Let me sacrifice all that that I value here for the sake of your glory and for the sake of their good. It will mean at times, if we love sacrificially, that we will give up our freedoms for the sake of not putting stumbling blocks in front of a brother or sister. Yeah, you're free to do whatever that behavior is, but is it going to be good for this brother or sister that's watching? And you lay it down. We love sacrificially. We love our neighbors. You know, the the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is telling this parable of the Good Samaritan, and here this man falls by the, by, the, by the way of the road, he's beaten by robbers, he's left for dead. You know, Jesus gives us almost no details about this man. We don't know where he's from, we don't know what he does, we don't know anything about him. And that's Jesus' point. He could be any man. And the point of the story was, the one who they thought would be the villain, the Samaritan, was the one who actually loved his neighbor who he knew nothing about. You see, the reality for us is that we are called to love our neighbor no matter what we know about them or don't know about them. We are called to love them through risk and through sacrifice. If you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan there in Luke 10, it cost him dearly. And it cost him financially. It cost him time. It set him off of his schedule. I'm sure there were others that looked on and said, I can't believe he's going to that man. Many of them thought, maybe this man is already dead. And for him to touch this man would have made him unclean, right? And so in the eyes of the Jewish people looking on, it would have been like, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. See, the reality is there are people that we will encounter who are neighbors to us that we must love. And I would ask you the question this morning is, Who are the neighbors that you are afraid to love? Are they refugees? Are they immigrants? Are they dirty? Are they poor? Do they have a different color skin than you? We're called to love our neighbor. Do you realize that every single human being, regardless of what you see in them, They have been made with dignity to reflect the image of God. So it is not our prerogative to look at anybody and say, you are somehow disqualified from the gospel. To do so is arrogant. And it is to think way more of yourself than you should. And it is to think way less of them than you should. And it is certainly to think way less of God than you should. We are called to love our neighbor. We are also called to love our brother and sister. Verse John 4, 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother and sister, he's a liar. You can't claim to know Jesus and to love him if you don't like those who are his. The person who says, you know, I don't have to go to church, I don't have to be a part of that to, to be a Christian. First John 4, 20 kind of disagrees. 
It calls us to community. It calls us to love our brother and our sister. We're called to love our enemy. This is one that doesn't often get a lot of amens. If you've got an enemy, you realize this one's hard. But Jesus there in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was the common belief of the day. Love your neighbor, but if you've got an enemy, it's okay, hate him. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for them. And that's hard. If someone has hurt you, been belligerent to you, been evil and and maniacal and conniving against you, they have slandered you, they have stolen from you, they have broken you in so many ways, you say, Pastor, I I don't know, I, I I don't think I can love that person. I'm not saying that in and of yourself, in your own strength, you can, but Jesus here gives us the command to love our enemy. We're also called to love by building one another up, to edify one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, our goal when we come together is not simply to go through the motions. It is not that we have 9.30 Bible study, 10.15 we're out, we come in here and we gather till 11.45 or so, and then we go eat lunch. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would enter into community with one another and say, how can I stir up love and good works in my brother? How can I push them toward Christ? How can I love them so that we are built up into him? And lastly, we are called to love through action. We love one another through action. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk or in deed, but, but in deed and in truth. Let your love be more than words. The Bible goes on and it says, If you see your brother in need and you have all kinds of stuff, and you don't help your brother or sister, you're in sin. And we're called to actually do for one another. So this is how God has loved us and how we are to love. The third question I will ask you this morning, hang with me. Okay? Don't check out. Hang with me. The third question is, how do we often get love wrong? Because Genesis 3 tells us that that sin entered the world and we are in a broken, fallen world, so we are going to get love wrong. Our affections are oftentimes going to be disordered. We can love food way too much. We can love whatever it is way too much. So how do we get love wrong? By abandoning our first love. You, You look at the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 and the the resurrected glorified Christ he checks them on this and says you've left your first love I have this against you you've left your first love so we try to abandon our first love we also try to divide our love compartmentalize our life, if you will. Say, this is my Jesus life over here, and then this is my business life, and this is my family life, and we put things all in these compartments, and we try to divide our love. And we love in all of these spheres. But the reality is we can't do that, because if we love God, everything else comes into that sphere. And we, we love and work and function out of, in everything else out of our love for God. We cannot compartmentalize or divide our love. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you can't can't do both. You can't divide your love. 
Third, we try to misplace our love. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul there speaks of Demas, who was in love with the present world, and because of he, was in, he was in love with the present world, it caused him to depart and to abandon Paul. And there are some who will misplace their love. It was a 1980 song by Johnny Lee, country music star of the day, looking for love in all the wrong places. And things haven't changed a whole lot since 1980. People still look for love in all the wrong places. We misplace our love. Fourth, we try to love ourselves. And perhaps all of these previous are, are rooted in this one. We love ourselves. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for loving the best seats at the festivals. and They loved the praise of men in public. They loved when they walked through with their phylacteries on and men would say, oh, there's the priest. And Jesus condemns them for it. This love of self has to be the root of so many of the issues, the problems that we see in our society today. Everyone loves themselves before they love anyone else. And more than they love anyone else. And more than they love God himself. Self has become preeminent. And the last way we get love wrong is we mistake our love. I think this, this brings me great um, sorrow but in every church, in every, everywhere a pastor is standing up this morning to faithfully preach the gospel, there will be people in the seats who are listening who have somehow convinced themselves that they are right with Christ, that they love him, that God is, has forgiven their sins, and they are not trusting in the Lord, and therefore they are still in their sins, and their love is in a mistaken place. John chapter 8, verse 42, told the Pharisees, Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me. See, the reality is there are people every single day that say, I'm a Christian, but yet they live their lives in such a way that they say they are an atheist. They, they love all these other things. They don't love Jesus, and they have somehow convinced themselves that maybe walking an aisle or, or being baptized, having their name on a roll somewhere is what will save them. And the saddest words, I think, in all of the Bible are the words from Jesus that say, depart from me, I never knew you. Imagine the sorrow in that day. And if you are seated among us this morning, I would pastorally and compassionately say to you, I don't care how long that you have been sitting and listening to sermons. I don't care how many you have heard. I don't care if you could go back and point to perfect attendance pins. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't love him, if you're not trusting in his work alone on your behalf, then you, my friend, are lost. And Jesus, one day, if you don't place your faith in him, will look at you and say, perfect attendance or not, depart from me. I never knew you. Today, turn from your sin and trust Christ. We get love wrong in so many ways. The fourth question is, how can we get love right? How do we get love right? Well, this goes back to what I was speaking about and teaching last week out of Galatians chapter 5. Is There are two parts to this. We must die and then we must live. We must die to self. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says that there is this war within between the sinful nature and the spirit of God. We must understand that there is still this residual effect of the sin nature in us that will try to lead us into these, these 
misappropriated loves, to get us to love in wrong ways. And when we see those rearing their head, we must die to self. The Puritans used to call this mortifying the flesh, killing the flesh. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you, right? And so when we see this, we pray, God, help me to recognize the flesh raising its head in me to lure me into false loves, and God, help me to die to myself. We must remind ourselves that we have been crucified with Christ already. And then when the flesh tries to persuade us to love in wrong ways, then we must wield the sword of the Spirit and slay the flesh. The Spirit gives us the power to do so. The second side of that is to die to self, and then the second side is to abide. To abide in God's love. I remind you to that first part of the sermon when I was talking about how has God loved us, and I looked around and so many smiles across the room as you just were basking in the love of God. As you abide in that love, you will find life being just pulsing through your body pulsing through your existence to live for him. 1 John 4.16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You know, I I told you last week, you'll never look out there and see a tree straining to produce fruit. You just won't see that, right? Because the tree produces fruit as it is connected to the roots and it just waits. It waits on the faithfulness there of God and we as believers must do the same. We are connected to Christ and we must abide in Him. We must turn to His Word, hide His Word in our heart, sit in His presence, remind ourselves of the Gospel, remind us of things that He says that are actually true. As we abide Throughout our lives, we will see God produce the fruit of love in us. See, if you go out today and you say, you know what, pastor said we should love. I'm going to love, dadgummit. You will do so in your own power and your own strength and you will fail. I'll go home today and I'll say, I'm going to love my wife today. And I will fail. But as I abide in Christ... And I rest in the freedom of his grace. I will see him produce love in my life. And it will not be perfect love until I'm with him. And when I fail, I will run back to the the mercy and the grace of the gospel. And I will say, God, I failed today. I didn't love my wife the way I should. I didn't love my kids the way I should. Lord, I didn't love you today the way I should. Lord, would you forgive me? And Lord, would you give me the power to love you tomorrow, to love them tomorrow? And we will continue to abide in him and watch over a lifetime and produce the fruit of love. I'll end with this. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. The reason love is the greatest is because love is the only one that will be forever. Faith, there will come a point where faith is no more because we will be with God. We will no longer have to believe We will come to a point where hope will no longer be needed because our faith will have become sight. But all throughout eternity in heaven in God's presence with all the saints of God, love will endure. Therefore, love is the greatest. 1 John 4, 7, Until that time, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God 
and knows God. Let us love God and one another in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the boldness, for the power of the Spirit that I have sensed this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word and, God, that the Spirit would apply it to hearts and lives today, that you would move it from our heads and, Lord, that you would root it in our hearts. And, God, that we might be transformed through the power of your word and the power of the Spirit. Lord, do your work and glorify yourself, I pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Perhaps today there has been some point where you have absolutely failed in some love. Maybe today you've come face to face with the fact that you have not, you've not trusted the Lord. You haven't loved Him. You can't love Him because you don't know Him. And today, today you realize that the only way that you will ever know Him is by turning from yourself and your sin and trusting in Christ. If that's you and you need to talk with someone, I'll be on the front row. I'd love for you to come see me. I'd love to to show you how you can trust Him and know He is your Savior today. Perhaps you're here and you realize that there have been times where you've just failed in your love. Maybe you you haven't placed Him first and had this preeminent love for God in your life and you today want to repent of that and you just want to pray where you are or come and kneel across the front and pray and ask God to forgive you and to give you power to move forward in preeminent love for Him, then that's what this time is for. Maybe there's something else that He's calling you to today. Maybe you're here and you want to present yourself as a candidate for membership here, or you just need someone to pray with you. Whatever it is that the Lord leads you to, I would just ask you to say yes, to follow through, to step out in bold obedience, and to, to put all, all the chips on the table of His grace. As he leads, you respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.